Uh, I want to celebrate this morning with you the fact that sometimes we get invited to things that we don't deserve to be invited to, but we get blessed in the process. And um, when I was a kid growing up, my parents used to love to listen to Christian radio, and we had a wired sound system in our house uh, long before um, smart speakers, and my mom would play um, radio, and I'd love to hear preachers like Chuck Swindoll and Tony Evans. Some of you know Dr. Tony Evans. You've heard his preaching before. And Dr. Evans uh, was one of my all-time favorites. So when I went to Dallas as a seminary student, um, some friends and I decided we were going to go visit his church. He has a very large church uh, in, in the Dallas area. And uh, on my first visit, though, I was so excited, hoping maybe I'd get to interact with him or see him or, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, somebody that I deeply respect from a distance. And uh, we ended up, unfortunately, getting to church a little bit late that day. And we'd find out that every Sunday uh, at that particular church, they'd take the Lord's table. And when they did that, they'd lock the doors and not let anyone to come into the building in order to make sure they made space for receiving the Lord's table. So uh, I confess that I was on the outside. And uh, while we were waiting for them to finish, one of the ushers, which, by the way, I'm very grateful for ushers, thankful for our ushers here at Hope Church. Uh, one of the ushers there, he got kind of a gleam in his eye, and he said, how would you like to sit up front? And, um, and so we said, absolutely. Well, he ended up taking us up front to the seat right behind Dr. Tony Evans and his, his wife, who's since graduated to go home with the Lord. But but I, I just could not believe how cool it was to sit beside him. And he was so excited about preaching. You could just see if you've ever heard him preach. He preaches from his soul and he shakes the room. And he was so excited about preaching. His wife every once in a while had to lean over and kind of put her hand on him and comfort him. Uh, and then when he came out, I can still remember the points of that sermon that he preached that day. It was so meaningful. And it was extra special for me because I was given an unexpected front row seat. And the reason why I earned that unexpected front row seat was actually because I was late to the party, right? I, I want to recognize this morning, as we talk about the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ and the celebration of this Advent season, uh, the celebration of the incarnation of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, that, that we get to celebrate together a couple of things. First, first thing we talk about is uh, we call this the Christ Miss or the Christ Mass. And um, some of you have put that together. You grew up in a tradition where you use the term mass at church or in reference to high church or an experience that you had. And one of my friends is a pastor. He had somebody come up to him after church and they nudge him and said, Pastor, hell of a mass today. That's what he said. Uh, you know, you think about that. I'm like, oh man, interesting. So, um, but, but for some of us, we haven't grown up with that tradition of calling it mass. But I want us to recognize as we study God's word together that you're going to hear the celebration that surrounded the actual birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see those who were there for that celebration. And for some of us, we have one of these in our, in our home. Uh, we, have, we have a nativity scene. And for, for some of you, you know that the nativity scenes are about as varied as there are countries and backgrounds. And um, we, it's helpful for us to remember that the term nativity was actually a very old word, Latin, uh, that just references birth. And so uh, I want you to use your sanctified imagination for a minute. Think about your birthdays that you've had in your life. 
then imagine if there was a cast molded plastic uh, representation of that birthday story, right? Uh, who would have been at that event? Who would have experienced the celebration for you? What would have been the weird uncle that brought you the strange gift or the cake that didn't quite make it? You guys picturing that with me? Now, and I want you to imagine that truth about what birth and what, is, what it means by nativity. But then about a thousand years ago, in a form of French, they changed that, the, the meaning of that word to mean something that I think is quite powerful. It describes the nativity as the feast of the birth of Jesus. And this morning, as we celebrate the, the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've decided in this series that we're going to ask questions about it. Why did this happen? When did it happen? Who was in that, that manger so many years ago? The details that surrounded the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to celebrate with you this morning, and I hope that you stick with me as we study this together, that you yourself have been given an invitation to be a part of the recognition of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you've been invited to get a front row seat to be able to experience the blessing of the advent of Christ. And today what we're going to do is we're going to keep our inquisitive selves asking those questions. And I have a question that's been very common. And that is why did God invite these particular people, Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the um, the, the shepherds, why did he invite these particular people to participate in that first Christ Mass, that first worship service? And we're going to see it, uh, the, that it, it literally sounds like what you and I experienced today, that they gathered together, they, they recognized Christ, they worshiped together. It was a really special time. But I've always wondered, why is it them? Why did they get, get the privilege to have this front row seat at the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ and the expectation of his coming? And, and I'll just gently remind you this morning that you and I in this crazy busy season, it's possible for us to have received that invitation and yet for us to neglect it. I appreciate the way Rick Warren speaks about us being kind of frantically searching for something this time of year. He says, you know, we spend most of our Christmas season searching for the perfect gift, the huge bargain, the ideal decoration, the last parking spot. At the very first Christmas, many people missed it because they were too busy looking for other things. The politicians missed the first Christmas um, the business community missed the first Christmas. The innkeeper missed the first Christmas. Even the religious establishment missed the first Christmas because they were looking at other things. This morning, I want to celebrate the fact that those who were a part of that first Christmas, and we're going to unpack this together, but those who were a part of that first Christ mass, they were looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to invite you, I want you to join me as a person who's both inquisitive and asking questions, but also one that recognizes that God's word contains good answers to our questions. We're going to ask the simple question this morning, why them? Why were they invited to the first Christ Mass? If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 30. And the first person that we're going to talk about um, is not the focal point of the nativity scene. Uh, the first person that we're going to talk about was second to that person. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ was the first person 
um, that made all of the difference when it comes to the incarnation. Um, but I want to talk with you a little bit about Mary for a few minutes. We're going to get a glimpse of Mary and her character in the words that were recorded in the book of Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 30. Here's what it says. And the angel said to her, this is speaking to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. I want to pause there for a second and say that what she was about to experience um, for many of us, if we, if we can just put ourselves in her shoes, whether it would be the journey that it would take, the, the fact that, that the circumstances of the birth of Christ were very complicated, that she was doing this separate from friends and family, that there, there would have been this question of her character, that she herself was in a very difficult place. But what we know from her Magnificat and from what, what scripture teaches us is that she still was able to do so with great joy. The sentence that we often think of in association with Mary is that she cherished the moments that took place in her heart. Here's, here's the way the text describes it in verse 31. It says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. We're going to unpack that in a few minutes that Mary and Joseph both were a part of the line of David. And it's amazing to see that that would be a part of the reason why they were chosen for this. But I believe their expectation and um, recognition that the Messiah was coming played a huge part as well. It says this in verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom, there will be no end. And then Mary says back to him, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And I think it's appropriate for us to recognize this morning that it will partially because of the fact that she was a virgin. She'd fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah that would describe this incredible gift from God. Verse 38 and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative is Elizabeth and her old age has also conceived a son. That's John the Baptist. And this is the sixth month with her who was, to be, um, was called barren. For nothing, this is awesome, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So the price of admission for Mary, uh, we assume that she was younger in age. We assume that there would have been more questions than she had answers. But, but the price of admission for her was actually to be a servant and to say, Lord, I trust you. I, I trust you. So, so Mary submitted to God's will and what we know about her mindset that surrounded that is she said, Lord, I trust you. You, need to, you do what you need to do. And at the end of the day, it allowed her to have a front row seat to worship the Lord. Some of you come from a tradition maybe where they confuse Mary as someone to be worshiped. And I think it's appropriate for me to clarify right here that, that in, in the original accounts, what we see of Mary is actually she understood that she got to worship the living God and she got to be able to sit at that manger and to worship him from the very beginning. So, so Mary's price of admission was one of obedience. Now I want to talk with you for a few minutes about Joseph. 
And, and Joseph is an, an interesting man because Joseph was a man who um, had to give up something else. He, Mary, when we see her story, she trusted God. She submitted to his will. She, um, she was a person who had to depend on the Lord in the midst of very difficult circumstances. But both Mary and Joseph had a promise that was given to their forefathers. And I want you to catch this. Some of you um, are familiar with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Uh, he has a radio program that's fantastic. And he, um, he summarizes something about the expectation of the Messiah coming through the line of David and how it impacted both Mary and uh, Joseph. He says this. Um, he says, um, in Luke's narrative of the birth of Jesus, we are given Mary's genealogy that's recorded in Luke chapter 3, 23 through 38. Probably the best way to interpret verse 23 is like this. Jesus was taught, was thought to be the son of Joseph, the son-in-law of Haile. Then in geology, as the genealogy continues all the way back to David, Abraham, and, Ab um, and Adam. So, so we get this line that's described in the book of Luke. This establishes Mary as the physical descendant of David. So it can be stated that Jesus truly was the son of David through the lineage of David's son, Nathan. Matthew's genealogy of Jesus records Joseph's uh, line. And Joseph's perspective is also important because it clearly demonstrates Jesus' legal right to the throne of David. According to Judaism, Jesus is the adopted son of Joseph. He would have had all the legal rights of biological, a biological heir. And Joseph descended from David through Solomon. And that was the chosen line of David for someone to be considered king. Hence, the Lord Jesus was the son of David by biological descent through Mary and the king of Israel by the legal right through Joseph. Now, here's, here's the special part, and he calls this a catch-22. You guys know what that means. It, um, uh, one of the things that's amazing about Jesus is the amazing part of this is that God had cursed the line of Solomon so no physical descendant of his could be named king. Jeremiah 22:30 says it like this. It says, record this man as childless. None of his descendants will succeed in sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. So this created that catch 22 of sorts. Only a descendant of Solomon could be king. Yet this line was cursed. Therefore, only, and this is what's incredible, only Jesus could fulfill the Davidic covenant. Jesus had the legal right to be king through Joseph, but because he was virgin born, the curse on Kaniah did not apply to him. Instead, he was the son of David through his mother Mary. Both genealogies are significant in establishing the Lord Jesus as the part of the true Davidic line. So, so here we've got Mary, who was a part of the line of David, and we've got Joseph, part of the line of David. And through the unique circumstances of the virgin birth, we get to experience and recognize the, the fact that the God of the universe is a promise-keeping God. I want us to celebrate the fact that the plan of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it was a masterwork by him. The timing was perfect, like his timing always is. But, but no doubt, for someone like Joseph, in his experience, here, his wife that he's betrothed to, um, he finds out that she's pregnant. He's got angels speaking to him. They're told that they have to leave their home behind or his home behind and his tools. And I'm guessing the stress of that would have been difficult. Some of you know 
the poet Maya Angelou, you know, some of the things that you and I struggle with this time of season are very, in, um, uh, very small compared to what Joseph struggled with. But she says this, you can tell a lot about a person by the way that they handle three things, a rainy day, lost luggage, and tangled Christmas tree lights. And can I get an amen on that? Uh, so, some of you have wrestled with those, those simple, small things. I want us to imagine for a minute what Joseph himself had to struggle through. And I want to celebrate this morning that he obeyed. So it says this in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you want to turn over with me there, it says this. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, this is, this is him. This is, this is the definition of who Joseph is. He did as the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, he knew her not, until she was given birth to, he'd given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph, as we encounter this man, a man who probably had different expectations of what was going to happen in the first birth of his firstborn child, that here he, as, as a man, is one who was willing to put aside his reputation. Um, the, this journey to Bethlehem would have cost him leaving behind probably his home and his tools, as we talked about last week. And he, he was a man of obedience. You know, what's fascinating in scripture is that we don't have any recorded words from Joseph. Uh, so here he is silent, uh, according to biblical history. We know he spoke, but, but we don't have any recorded words from Joseph. But what we see that I believe is more powerful than his words is that he was a man of obedience and he was a man of action. He was kind. He was gracious. He was slow to anger. He was obedient to God. He was willing to be misunderstood and he was willing to leave behind what was comfortable and familiar for him. If you are going to obey the Lord, you may have the challenge of Mary where God asks you to do something incredible um, that requires miraculous provision. In other words, how can this be was her word. Jo Joseph's words, I think, were ones that the Lord said to me, trust, tr said to him, trust me, I've got this. You have to depend on me each step of the way. And what's great about his front row seat to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is that he was a man of obedience. I love the, the fact that the next uh, individuals I want to look at, they're named in other settings, but like the, the angel Gabriel is named in other settings. The, they were angels um, that were, uh, it's important for us to remember when we talk about angels that they're just messengers. They're spiritual messengers. That's what the term angel means. And they're expressing the very words of God to people. And so when they say these phrases recorded in Luke chapter 2, um, verse 8, they're kind of understated. They say, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Verse 13 of Luke 2 says, and suddenly there was an angel with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, 
Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among with whom he is pleased. I, I want to think about this for a quick moment to say, just like Charlene shared her testimony and others have shared their testimony of what God's done in their life, that, that these messengers, that's actually another term for what I have the privilege of doing today, is to be able to express and share what God has said to them, to, to be able to say, this is what God has done for me. This is a part of my story. And so those angels, by exalting the Lord, they were able to exalt Christ to be able to put him in the right place and to comfort those that were seeking him. I also love the fact the next people I want to look at were the shepherds. You know, those, those shepherds we've studied so far in our series of Why Christmas, uh, this, the account of Luke 2. And I want us to look back on that very briefly to say that these shepherds, they, they expected Jesus. Uh, at least they knew where to go, that it was going to be in Bethlehem where Jesus was born. And so we, we have studied the timing of Christmas. But I, I love this fact as we read this and as we study this together briefly, that they also just were quick to act, that they responded quickly to the invitation of the angels. Verse 15 says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They'd received the invitation. They accepted it and they were ready to go. And they went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I want to pause here for a quick second. The population of Bethlehem at that time was projected to be about a thousand people. It's a small town. Uh, but, but I want us to recognize and, and notice the fact that not everybody who surrounded Bethlehem uh, came to, to see what this uh, what was happening, what was taking place on that amazing day. In fact, not everyone received the, the direct invitation of the angels. But, but what we recognize here is that they were invited and they showed up. Verse 17 says, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. That's from the messengers, the angels. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. I think part of the reason why God extended the invitation to the shepherds is because he knew they were expecting him. Uh, he knew that they were ready. They were looking forward to this. I want to challenge you this Christmas season, make sure that we go back to this, that, that I'm going to keep suggesting to you this morning that God's invited you to his table. Uh, he's invited you to the banquet. He's invited you to be able to recognize the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, to celebrate with him. That there are plenty of other things that we can do, other responsibilities. I don't know what happened to the sheep, but I doubt they've dragged them with them to go visit because it said that they did this immediately. And there's a part of this that I don't know what the cost is of obedience to give up this Christmas season, but I want to encourage you and remind you that when it says they did this with haste, um, that there's something about that invitation. I, I, I go back to my illustration of Dr. Evans's church and the usher that invited this, this opportunity for me to experience something that was really fun for me. And I'm going to guess that for all of us, we've had invitations that are like that, but often they require us to, to change our schedule, to change our plans, to do something that we didn't expect to do, uh, maybe even if we're late to the party. 
And here, this is what we see from the other group of people, what we know of as the Magi or the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, 9 through 11. Remember, there's mystery as to how many they were. We know that they came from Persia, probably traveled some 800 to 900 miles uh, when there was not a, um, a, a nonstop flight, if you understand what I mean, right? We, we recognize that there was a huge cost to them making this journey. And when the wise men were invited to come to this celebration of the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see this in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, this description. It says, And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until they came, it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, Part of what I love about this is that their invitation was different. It came at a different time. We believe that historically they showed up um, uh, probably months, maybe even a year after Jesus was born. Uh, And there's lots of reasons why the timing was different. So our traditional nativity scenes don't quite represent that. But what I love is even though they had received the invitation, God's timing was perfect. They showed up a little late to the story, but they were still given the privilege like you and I are even 2000 years later to be able to recognize and see who Jesus truly is. It's funny to me that we give gifts uh, at Christmas time when it's Jesus's birthday. I already laughed about my Pickle Loves Jesus t-shirt, right? That's awesome. Uh, but for some of us, we, we recognize that this is just the gift-giving season. It's awesome to see uh, the gift, the sacrificial gift that was offered by these, these wise men. I, I like the way cartoonist Matt Groening uh, depicts this time of Christmas. He says, Tongue-in-cheek, he says, aren't we forgetting the true meaning of Christmas? You know, the birth of Santa. I think that's funny. Um, You've heard Andy Borowitz maybe say that Christmas is a baby shower that went totally over the top, overboard. Um, Some of you have heard Johnny Carson talk about fruitcake. Uh, I think this is funny. Anybody really like fruitcake? Be honest. Some of you, two of you. Okay. John Eric likes fruitcake. All right. I I think I broke a tooth on it one time. But uh, Johnny, Johnny Carson says this, this fruitcake is the world's worst Christmas gift. I think that there's just one that was ever baked and people just keep giving it to others. That's what they do. Uh, we, we talk about gifts at Christmas time and there's, there's significance in the gold that was given to the Lord Jesus Christ that Joseph and Mary would be able to use that in their time of wandering to Egypt and provide for their needs. And then The symbolism behind the frankincense and the myrrh, some of you have heard this before and it's helpful that that those those would have been um, precious, they would have been valuable, and they would have also been involved in burial rites at times. And it's important for us to recognize from the beginning the image of the swaddling clothes of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the picture of his death on the horizon, that When it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that we also recognize that Easter is what's projected forward to recognize that he would be, as John the Baptist says, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. People who really understand truly who he is, they can do nothing but worship him. I'm going to say that again. People who really understand who Jesus is, they can do nothing but worship him. 
I think that it's appropriate for us to recognize this more. What was the common denominator with all these that were a part of that first Noel, that, that first Christmas celebration, the Christ Mass? And I think for, for many of them, they were just seekers. Um, they were seekers that the Lord had exposed his truth to and they obeyed, they followed him. I think those at the first Christmas were seeking a variety of things. Uh, and I want to I recognize the second point this morning, and that is true seekers can find the answers to their deepest needs. That's been my story. When I have been honest with the Lord, sought the deepest questions of my heart before him, that he's helped to find great answers for those questions. I love what Matthew 7, 7 says. It says, seek, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. That's been my story. That's been the story of those who've shared their testimonies during this Advent season and uh, I want you to catch the fact that when I say that this is uh, a masterful work of art, the nativity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the story of his banquet that was set before us, that we recognize that he's doing something on purpose and for a purpose. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10 describes it poetically in the paraphrase by Eugene Peterson, the message. I want you to just hear this. This is awesome. It says, he thought of everything. This is God. God thought of everything. He provided for everything we could possibly need. He let us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and we got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for his glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and in everyone. There's so much for me to appreciate in those words. I think that God thought of everything. He provided for everything we could need. And it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. So, so for some of us, uh, in this room today, we, we know that there are lots of things that fit together, that we try to wedge together in the Christmas season. I've noticed it with my children. My girls are, my, my one daughter's come back from college, and, and, and there's something that, that they're doing that I think is a natural temptation for many of us. And that is in this Christmas season that we try to reenact things that have been done in the past that made us feel warm inside. Like we're trying to recapture that excitement. Maybe it's through the old movie or the old experience or the, the old tradition that we've done. And sometimes we feel that and sometimes we don't. And I actually think that that's one of the distractions of this time period is that we are working on things that we want to feel. I want to feel something. And I want you to celebrate and catch something that what this Ephesians passage is saying is now they just want you to show up really. I want you to sit back and to recognize what Christmas is really all about. And that's what happened with these guys, is that they showed up. They received the invitation, they accepted it, and then they decided to show up. And what we get to see in Matthew chapter, or Luke chapter 2 and Matthew 2, 11, is that we get to see that it was truly a celebration. Catch this, the third point this morning, is that we get to join the celebration. I want to invite you to join the celebration 
I want you to, to remember a time in your life when you received an unexpected gift, an opportunity. Maybe it was for something that you couldn't yourself afford. You guys know that there's a lot of expensive tickets out there. Taylor Swift, $22,000. I heard that. I don't know if any of you are going to that concert. Um, but uh, uh, maybe you were given an opportunity that the invitation came, but you had something else that you had to give up in order to participate in it. I want you to catch this, that that there's an invitation to join the celebration. You're invited to it. Um, there was a cost for that admission, but what I want to celebrate is through the Lord Jesus Christ that it was paid in full. I want you to see these verses. They're so fun for me because they just describe a party that happened in that first Christ Mass. It's what happened in that first church service. They, they sat at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says this in verse 18 of Luke 2. We read it already, but I want you to just see it again. It says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things. She pondered them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is for real. This changed their life. This was a radical experience. Verse 11 of Matthew 2, it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down. They worshiped him, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. I think it's valuable for us to recognize that for us to participate in Christmas appropriately, that there was a cost for it. There's a price of admission, but thankfully that admission was paid in full. I like the way that this is described. Of those who were on the first Christmas guest list, you and I can relate to them. For some of them, uh, the cost would be desperate obedience and trust to the Lord. For others, it would just be the next right step on a journey. Um, for others, that to be on that guest list meant that it came at a cost for them personally. And for others, it was just going to be immediate obedience. The sad thing to me is that many uh, missed that first Christmas. Um, I, I shared it last week, and I'll say it again. I think because we mix together the myths that surround Christmas with the truth of Christmas, that sometimes it's hard for us to sort those things out. And I think it's very possible for someone to go through the experience of Christmas and truly miss out on the privilege of associating with the Lord Jesus Christ. You guys know, um, I grew up, my mom used to talk about the times when people put an X um, before the word mass um, as a way, my mom, you know, growing up, she used to say that was a way to try to remove Christ from Christmas. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Saw it on a garage sale the other day, a sign. It said Xmas sale. Um, you know, it's kind of fun about that is the, the first word in the or letter in the, the Greek word for Jesus is Christos. Uh, and it begins with a chi, which is an X. And it always made me smile uh, when I think of that. Was I, I'm sure some people are trying to take Jesus out of Christmas, but it's really impossible to do. I'll just tell you that. And, and I, I want to encourage you this morning, though, that for some, they may try to experience the joy and blessings of the Advent season, but separate it from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just they're not experiencing Christmas, right? They're not experiencing what the Lord has blessed us with. He's given us this privilege. And so there's a cost for admission. Thankfully, it's paid in full. Some, unfortunately, missed it. Max Lucado, in his, um, his powerful way of using words, says it like this. Those who missed his majesty's arrival that night 
missed it not because of evil acts or malice. No, they missed it because they simply weren't looking. Little has changed in the last 2,000 years, has it? I think that there's some that, that are tempted to be distracted by the other things and miss out on the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I want to invite you. I want to encourage you today that it's not too late to miss out on the party. Uh, I love the fact that with the example of the wise men, that their invitation came a little bit later. Um, many of our testimonies that we've heard as we've built up to this Advent season have been people who didn't come to Christ early on in their life, but that there was a story of them coming later. And, and I want to encourage you, even if it's taken you a while to get to the party or to the join, join the party a little bit later, I want to invite you to, to go together with us. I want to encourage you that you've received this invitation from the Lord Jesus Christ. And for some of you, um, you, you are familiar with the song that we sing, Oh, Come, all ye faithful. That's a, uh, that's a fun song that represents what, what, what happened here. These, these people were faithful. I also want to extend a different kind of invitation. Maybe you've heard this song on the radio um, that, that has the lyric in it, Come all ye unfaithful. It says, Come weak and unstable. Come and know that you are not alone. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. And so for some of us in this room, I'll just remind you when John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that paid in full invitation wasn't free, but it was because of the sacrificial life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the invitation to us. And so when we understand the definition of Jesus's purpose statement that he came to seek and to save that which was lost... Uh, that's the perfect plan. That's the ultimate invitation that he's extended to us through, through the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. So the invitation stands for each and every one of us to join him, uh, to be a part of the worship service, to respond to him appropriately. And, and I'll tell you, when I read this, part of what I think we do in the church world uh, when it comes to celebrating the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ at Christmas time, it's it, we're just following in the, a long line of people before us some 2,000 years ago on that first Christmas where they sat down at the feet of Jesus, even Mary, uh, the one we don't worship, but the one that worshiped. And we sit down and in awe, we look at him and we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done. So I'm going to invite you together to join me and let's stand together. Um, and the, the first thing I'm going to invite you to do is just ask, like, is there, is there something the Lord's asking of you to take a step of obedience? Is there something that he's drawing you into with his perfect invitation to sit at his feet and worship him in this Christmas season? Is there something he's asking for you to set aside in order to take the step of obedience to join him at the, that special table that he's provided for us? And then beyond that, I'm going to invite you to join me as well. We're going to respond to the Lord in giving our tithes and offerings this morning. And I'll just remind you uh, that that's an appropriate response. We don't give grudgingly or out of necessity. That's not God's desire, but we give cheerfully because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And we close our time in worship and response to him um, because that's what it means for us to encounter the living God. Lord, we love you and we praise you. I thank you for that first Christmas. Um, that those individuals that surrounded the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they could do nothing but be in awe of your awesomeness, that they left from that place in a way that I hope we leave from this place today, uh, humbly celebrating the great things that you've done on our behalf.
I also pray, Lord, as we, um, we give our tithes and offerings, that we would do so in a manner that's worthy of you. And as we close out our time singing your praises, that we would do so uh, with a spirit of worship, responding to you in a way that's worthy of you. We love you. I thank you for the kind invitation that you've bought with the price to provide for each and every one of us to sit at your feet and to worship you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.